Like always, football seems to never stop. Welcome in. This is the Rocktown Sports Podcast, the second edition of the pod. Today is Tuesday, February 12th, and from here on out, we'll be doing it on Tuesdays. Is the name catching on is the important part, I think. You know, is are, are, are the kids on the streets talking about this Rocktown Sports Pod when you're out there, Greg? I, I don't know too many kids on the street, <laughs> okay, but uh, I, I hope they are. Anyway, I'm Greg Medea, host of the Rocktown Sports Pod, and James Madison football beat writer at the paper, joined by Jim Sacco, sports editor at the DNR, and Cody Elliott today. We got all three of us uh, here, and we'll, we'll talk with Shane Metlin a little later, the JMU men's and women's hoops writer. But we're going to start with football today, just because there was some news that broke, uh, I don't know, about an hour, hour and a half ago, that Broadway, the Broadway Gobblers have hired a new football coach. Dan Grog takes the takes the reins from Brad Lutz uh, as, as Broadway finally has made that hire. It seems like we've been waiting kind of all offseason because it's been known that, that Lutz was leaving for another job, uh, was leaving the area. Cody, what's, what's your take? Were you surprised? Is this kind of what you expected? How do you kind of break down this hire of Dan Grog? Yeah, I think it's a hire. Um, I, I kind of expected it from the start. I said back when Lutz um, first announced he was leaving for William Fleming, I thought Danny Grog was a name that, that kind of stood out as a possible hire. Um, he's been with the program now for four years. Uh, spent a year at Harrisonburg right after graduation from Bridgewater. He was an all-ODAC tackle there. Um, so he's got the background. He's got the local ties. Um, he actually just recently got named the manager of the Broadway Bruins in the Rockingham County League. I, I just got to say this. Is he, is he stretching <laughs> himself too thin? We all know the time commitment that the RCBL is. Yeah, that's a, that's a big question, and that's going to be one of my first uh, comments to him when I when I talk to him because you, you're absolutely right. But you know, all jokes aside, yeah, he's he's been named the manager there, he's, and now as a head coach at Broadway, I think it's a good hire. Um, you know, he he has those ties to Lutz. He's familiar with the players, familiar with the the different type of personalities you have in that locker room, and you know, not a lot's going to change. But he kind of brings a youthful energy. Um, he's only 28 years old, so by far the youngest coach in the Valley District, and um, I think you know. I, that's a good kind of change of pace without straying too far from who they are as, as a school. The second question you need to ask him is why does his dachshund bark at everything? He's got this little dachshund. He lives down the street from me that barks at everything when he's walking. That's what I want to know. To me, that's an important question. Why does your little dachshund bark at everything and everybody? Absolutely, I'll have to get on that. <laughs> it's, the, it's the hard-hitting journalism that yeah. matters at the Daily News record. Now, he is, you think about the coaches in the area, uh, Chris Thurman at Harrisonburg, Donnie Coleman at East Rock. How does the young guy fit in with with these kind of staples and veterans that, that have been coaches in the area for a long time? Jim, what, how do you kind of see it? I, I, I like it. I, I don't know whether he fits in or not, I don't know. I mean, he's a football coach, so he's going to fit in one way or the other. But I just like the added, you know, the extra little diversity he gives us in terms of, you know he's not a he's not a the quote unquote old timer. He's not quote unquote he may be old school at his mentality, but he's definitely not old school in his hairline. Uh, you know I kind of like it. I think it's it just adds to the 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 richness of the the football in, in the valley. I mean, wouldn't you agree with that a little bit? Yeah, I think you it kind of to me symbolizes or is similar to the uh, hire that TA made in basketball with Marquise Woodyard. Um, you've got a young guy there who is in a district full of a bunch of older coaches and a bunch of veterans and um, you know he might not have seen the results that you know he wanted to his first year but I think you've seen a change of culture there at TA and you know more excitement more energy level you know guys that want to come out for the program and I think when you bring a young guy who can relate to the players a little bit more and knows what they're going through a little bit better um, I think that's always a good thing and you know I think with a guy like Danny who has the background too in coaching you know I think it's a great hire all around. What are the challenges that exist at Broadway football because this is a program let's be honest here that struggled really pretty badly the last couple of years probably the most positive thing they've done is send Jesse Lane to James Madison as a walk-on and he's made uh, some contributions on the practice squad there, but in terms of wins and losses, they've they've not done well the past couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I think Broadway is is it's pretty cut and dry with them. You're not going to get you know the the athletes that you see at the at Harrisonburg and in some of these other schools. Um, you're going to get very physical players, very um, you know blue collar type of players, the guys that, that you know 
they're going to have to focus on running between the tackles, um, playing good defense. That's that's how they've always been. And when they've been at their peak and at their their most successful seasons back in the past, you know, in those 2013, 2014 years, um, that's that's the type of football teams they were. And you know, I think they they showed some progress this past season um, and some steps of improvement. And I think just building that culture and, and developing a, a physical football team is the is the first step for Danny Grog. The, the cycles are tougher to break out of when you're a, a quote-unquote rural school. And, you know, granted, it's only 20 miles up the road uh, from Harrisonburg. But, it, I mean, that's different, you know. It's a, it's di- it's a different kid. It, it's, yeah. di- it's, a different, it's a different world up there a little bit. I mean, it's more rural, obviously. And, and when you're at a more rural school, you don't get the influx of the, the quote-unquote hot dog positions. You don't get the, 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 the stud receivers, the stud quarterback as often. So you're kind of stuck in this cycle of waiting for the right defenders and waiting for the right blockers on your offensive line to give you that kid who's got you know above average talent in the backfield whether it be a quarterback or a running back to to break through because you can't do it on your own if you only have one or two hot dog positions on your team and I think that's and I think a lot of rural schools, unless there's a super culture of a youth league, like you get it like a Riverheads or you get it like a Southwest Virginia, like a Big Stone Gap or something like that, it's just a tougher cycle to, to break out of, and it just takes a little longer. Because, I mean, let, you know, you go back six, seven years ago, that was a good football team. Uh, and it's just been a longer cycle just due to the whole, you know, the rule, the ruleness of the, the, the school, and it just makes the cycle tougher to break out of. That's interesting because that's a fan base that's waiting for that team to oh, be yeah. good. They show up on Friday night still, mm-hmm. and, and they do their military appreciation, of course, at the end of the year, uh, and really throughout the season too. But do you think do you think for those fans, do you think there's, there's an end in sight here where, uh, you know, you look two, three down, years down the road. You look four, five years down the road. Cody, do you, do you have a projection that's realistic, or uh, you're not you're not sure there? Well, I'm, it's hard to sit here and predict, you know, predict records in future years or anything like that. But I, I do know that this that there was a team that was very. I mean, they were one win away from getting into the playoffs last year, and you know, maybe we're talking about Broadway football in a different light if they make a playoff appearance last season. And and you know, so they they finished four and six. It's easy to just kind of throw them off, but you know that that last game, it's you know just an absolute mud pit out there against Rockbridge County. And it was one of those games that, you know, just a lot of weird things happen. And so they lose that game. And if they would have won that game, they would have been into the Region 3C playoffs. And I think we're looking at that program a little differently. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think they've got they've got some promising players coming back this year. And, and like I said, I think kind of like Jim mentioned, it starts at the younger ages. You know, they, as long as he can start building that program, starting with JV and, you know, getting guys into it and building kind of that – Continuity. That's you know, if he can do that, I think he can be successful there. You know, it's just a matter of going through the the normal cycles of high school sports. And, and when they do develop that, when he, when they you know, like a rural school, when they do develop that big beefy offensive line, even more so because they do have a big beefy offensive line that I think is up most are coming back as seniors, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of their defensive line, which is one of the best in the district this year. Exactly. So when that gets better, they win. A team like Broadway wins that mud pit game against a high flyer like against Rockbridge. County. It, once they're at that level and they get through the cycle, the, we're talking about them making the playoffs at five and five, or six and four, or seven and three, or eight and two, because they win that game. Is you know because that's the brand that a school like that needs is built on. Is built on the the winning those mud pit games and being mudders. Yeah. Definitely interesting. Uh, again, Greg Medea along with Cody Elliott and Jim Sacco here on the Rocktown Sports Podcast. Uh, originally had planned uh, to talk prep hoops out of the gate, uh, but of course football breaking news takes takes center stage. But let's get into the hoop side of it now. <laughs> Valley District, Shenandoah District Tournaments, Semifinals, Championships. Cody, the, the two local teams that that have been the standouts this year, East Rock, Spotswood, both on the boys' and girls' side, moving on and then playing well. How do you kind of break down the tournaments to this point? Is it what we expected and kind of what we talked about last week on the podcast? Uh, yeah, I think so far on the boys' side, at least, it's been pretty much, you know, as we expected. Um, Fort Defiance pulled a, an upset in the first round. They won one game throughout the whole season, um, you know, in district play or overall. I mean, they won one game, and it was against TA early in the year. And, and so then they, they come out of the opening round beat Rockbridge County. Um, other than that, though, I think where we are now as we enter the championship round with Spotswood and Broadway is kind of where everyone expected us to be in terms of the boys' side. And then you look at the girls, Spotswood, um, you know, they've been far and away the favorite all year. Um, where there is a surprise there is who their opponent is in the championship game. Um, it was kind of a wide open race there. Uh, nobody really 
kind of stood out as that number two team. And now all of a sudden, Rockbridge County, another team that won one district game throughout the year, is now in the championship game um, in Harrisonburg High School tomorrow night. So uh, they're a team that's caught fire. I know Jim saw them last week at Broadway, and they, uh, you know, they're a team that's just caught fire at the right time. And all of a sudden, you know, they're playing really, really well. And whether they can compete with Spotswood is is, an, is another question. But um, you know, you've got to give them credit for getting where they are. I think what you're going to see in that game, and after watching Rockbridge County is in that Rockbridge Spotswood game Wednesday night, what I think you're going to see is something similar to that TA Spotswood game, uh, girls game that you saw uh, Monday night, whereas you know Spotswood didn't nece- wasn't necessarily able to pull away until later, mm-hmm. uh, and, and TA gave, gave them a little some fits there because that Rockbridge team when I watched them play Broadway, I mean I, I was kind of stunned that they only won one game right. all, all year. I mean they. They, they played a really good brand of basketball. It was a very hard-nosed defensive team, which I liked. And it was just a team that was just, you know, just in Broadway's face on everything they tried to do. And, and I was just – they did not look like a one-win team to me. Now, do they sit go out there and upset – do they go out there and pull off another upset against a, a fantastic Spotswood team? I, I can't – you know, I can't imagine they do. But, you know, let's be real here. Did anyone imagine this team would pull off two upsets to get to this point? Uh, but this is we're we're talking a different animal now. If we're talking spots with girls basketball, but I, I like the way that Rockbridge team plays. They 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 play a good brand of basketball, and they got some scoring potential. Yeah, no, I think they absolutely. You know, they they pose that type of threat that Spotswood has kind of struggled with at times this year. Um, you know, when they played Broadway in the year, Spotswood struggled. When they played TA the other night, they struggled. And you know, when teams kind of slow it down and kind of play that that gritty defensive style in your face, it, it has thrown Spotswood off a little bit. Um, they've been fortunate enough to come out with wins each time, but um, you know, if if Rockbridge can do it for long enough and you know are successful enough at it, I definitely think they have a chance. I mean, TA was in that game for for the entire contest, pretty much the entire night. They were they stuck around, and you know, if they had a couple more shots, it could you know it could have went the other way. Rockbridge got no size, though. I think that's going to be the obvious difference here they, they have no size at all and uh you know if, if sophomore ac schwartz at uh at broadway must have one two i think three or four and ones in that loss the other night and i mean now just imagine that imagine what a junior like stephanie odekirk is going to do down low if a sophomore not as developed offensively as odekirk and schwartz is doing that. I can only imagine what what Odekirk's going to do against uh, Rockbridge. It, it could get ugly down there, down low, as the game rolls on and as that as that paint it just gets worn down, and whoever's the poor person who's posting up against Stephanie is just getting tired and getting turned into a bag of bruises. You know, at some point the the, the ship's going to ship's going to give on Rockbridge in that one. So it'll be Spotswood and Rockbridge in the Valley District Girls Championship. That game is tomorrow night, Wednesday, at Harrisonburg High School. On the boys' side, you got Broadway and Spotswood. Uh, Cody, you saw Spotswood last night, right? Broadway on the other end, they pulled off a nice one led by Kime, right? Yeah, yeah. Broadway's, Broadway's been a solid team. And all year I've thought they were they were kind of right there in terms of being able to compete with Spotswood. And um, the, their most recent meeting between them uh, was, at, was at Spotswood. And, and Broadway led by double digits uh, midway through the second quarter of that one. And it really kind of felt like, oh, the tide was turning for Broadway. And here, here they came. And then all of a sudden... Um, you know, Spotswood hits a couple shots, and it was like the momentum just completely shifted, and uh, Spotswood ended up running away with that one by 15, 20 points. Um, so I think it's almost a little bit of a mental thing for Broadway. Um, those guys are determined to beat Spotswood. They've they've talked about it all year. They they feel like they are capable of beating Spotswood. They think they have their best front court in the district, and um, they they feel like they can beat them. And so I think tomorrow night is going to be. Um, a, a good game, and that, and I think it's going to be a close game. I think it, it will be the closest one we've seen between them. Um, I would still say Spots was the favorite, but you know I think Broadway definitely has the the tools on that team with with the height they have inside with Seth Kime and Ben Alderfer, and then you add in a guy like Caleb Williams. Um, they've got enough tools that they can play with them. It's like Cody said, Broadway's Broadway is is solid, but I think in order to beat a Spotswood, you know, on this stage, they need to do something special. And if that makes any sense, no, I mean, they're, it does. They're, they're a very good ball club, and they they are a worthy number two seed. They're very worthy of a regional bid, win or lose, in that in that Valley District Championship game. I just I think for them to get over that hump, I, you need they, they're going to need something special. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, along with, with Seth Kime dropping in, you know, owning the, the inside, you know, they need on that same night that Seth Kime is dropping in 18, 19, 20 points and pulling down six, seven boards and maybe swatting two or three shots, they need Caleb Williams to go, you know, four for five from three-point land. 
and, and they need Jackson Jameson to be dishing out what eight, you know, six, seven, eight assists in that game, and then that would be something special. And I and I just to see it all kind of come together at that one time. Because correct me if I'm wrong here, Cody. Is I don't think have you seen it all kind of come together at one time with that team, or has it been just the flashes of what they can be on one in in one facet of their offense or their defense, and then and that taking them to the win, and not necessarily this complete team basketball game and what that team could be yeah no absolutely they have shown those flashes whether it be for uh, a couple minutes spurts during games and the whole team but I think one of the biggest ones you mentioned there you mentioned Caleb Williams and then you mentioned Jackson Jameson and and what Dwight Walton has been looking for all year is kind of both of those guys to get going from the outside because they're both very capable three-point shooters and if you got those two on the outside shooting and as well as they both can that you know it seems like all season they've been one guy's hitting one guy's not if they can both come together on one night which Dwight Walton has made clear that's what he wants to happen um you, you put those two on the wings then you throw in the big bodies Ben Aldifer and Seth Kahn inside you know that's that's hard for any team to defend and that, that's what they're kind of waiting on and like you said I think if that can all come together um at the right time which would be tomorrow night in the district championship you know that's where it. You know that's the team that could pull it off. But yeah, I'm 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 completely agree with you there. I think some kind of special performance, whether it's Caleb Williams, you know, Seth Kahn doing something. You know, something has to happen that puts them over the top because you know they they haven't yet put together that full team performance that would allow them to to beat them. And the flip to that on the Spotswood side is what you're seeing finally. In 2018 slash 19 from Caleb Strauderman, yeah. I mean that, and that just that makes Broadway's job even that much harder because here's a guy who was Valley District Player of the Year uh, in 17 18, uh, and was a you know played fantastic last year, mm-hmm. really really struggled at the start of the season with his shooting stroke, and now all of a sudden, you know, and it, goodness gracious, if this kid continues to play. To, to elevate his game as he's elevated since the end of the regular season through the postseason, he carries it over in the regionals and dare I say state tournament. I mean, you know, that, you know, pick your poison with Spotswood. Who am I double team? Am I gonna, you know, who who am I, do I double team close out on him when he's behind the yard or he's spotting up or what do I do with Angel Pacheco Ortiz? You know, what do I do with him? You know, what do I do, pick? You know, pick your poison with that team at that point. Yeah, the 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 coaches. I've talked to several coaches around the Valley District who all are in agreement that this is arguably one of Chad's Chad Edwards' deepest teams he's ever had. Um, you know. If Caleb's shooting like he was the other night, uh, that just changes their dynamic completely. You, like you said, you've got Angel inside. You've got a guy like Ralph Smith, who many around the entire program thinks uh, is, could be a Division One athlete himself. And you, you just throw in so many different guys like that and different styles of play. Um, you know, they're going to be hard for anyone, not just around here locally, but like you said, at the state level. Yeah. Before before we get to the regional stuff, I just wanted to mention Shenandoah district side on the boys' side. You got semifinals today: Ari Lee at East Rock. Riverheads at Stewart's Draft, and then on Wednesday, the girls, Riverheads at Page County, and then Stewart's Draft at East Rock. Now, to, to something that I know is driving you both crazy, because it's a VHSL problem. It's a, I, I don't know who else's fault it is, but you have a lot of these teams who have already lost in district tournaments and not had the strongest regular seasons either, advancing on to regional play. Cody, you, you got to explain this to me because you're, you're the one that's trying to figure out all these brackets and sort out where, you get, where you're going to have to go next week, first of all. Uh, but, but can you kind of walk me through how this is happening and how you're getting teams that, that maybe don't belong in, in, a regional, in a regional bracket? Yeah, so uh, to start with the Valley District, I guess, is the easiest spot to start with. Um, you've So you've got three teams that are supposed to advance to the regional play, and so you'll have the winner of the, the championship, and you'll have the um, the runner-up, and then you have a third-place game, the consolation game, that, that should advance. That seems pretty easy. Um, but instead what we've got is the regions are – preceding them based off the their, these power rankings that they're having through the regular season. So Spotswood, for example, on the boys' side, is already locked in as the Region 3C number one seed. No matter what comes of tomorrow night against Broadway, uh, Spotswood is locked in as the number one. Broadway boys are locked in as the number four. So no matter what, those two teams, if they keep winning, they will meet again in the, the regional semifinals. Meanwhile, you've got a team for Defiance, the number, the number six seed coming into the district tournament. Boys or girls? Boys. Okay. It's on the boys. They pull off the first round upset over Rockbridge County. 
Rockbridge County so that Rockbridge County loses last Friday in Lexington. Their season's over in their heads. Are they done? They're done. Or you don't know. By all means, everybody thinks they're done. Okay. Come to find out, there is a wild card situation with these district ratings. And a fourth spot can be opened up for one of the two districts, or one of the three districts, and it's for whoever has the highest point rating. So Rockbridge fills that that void. So now we've got four defiance tonight playing against Waynesboro. Even though they've already won a playoff game, they've got to beat Waynesboro just to get in. Waynesboro has to be whoever wins that gets in. But Rockbridge, meanwhile, despite losing last week in the first round, is is sitting there because of their regular season points rating. And the same thing is applying to the other side where we've got the Broadway girls who lost in the first round to Rockbridge. A similar situation as the number three seed because of their regular season point rating. They are now locked. If Turner Ashby loses tonight, they will go in as the number eight seed, as the wild card. How, I mean... I let, let's get this straight before I, before I go off here, okay? Okay. This is, you, when we say it's a VHSL problem, let's keep in mind the Virginia High School League does not is not setting these. Okay, okay, the Virginia okay. High School League doesn't care how district and regionals are run, ran. What the Virginia High School League cares about is, hey, just send us teams. Mm-hmm. Each region, make sure we get your teams to our state tournament. You do it as you see fit. Okay, isn't so that it, isn't that their problem though? At least to have some no. kind of say in how this process should work. The Virginia High. The best way I can look at it. The the best way to describe it is the Virginia High School League is like a is is like a chef. Okay, is like, uh, and it doesn't get, Virginia High School doesn't care how the ingredients get into its pot. They just want the ingredients in the pot. It's up to the athletic directors and the principals, more importantly the principals, from each region who decide how they're, and from each district, how their districts send teams off the regions and how the regions, and, and, and from that point on, it's like the VHL, and how the regions send team off to the state tournament. How region how regions send teams off to the state tournament is pretty cut and dry. Okay. Okay. So fine. So the championship game. Okay. You play a regional championship game. Your winner gets the closer to home game. The loser gets the away from home game. Uh, and and so let's just get that straight. This is not a, a Charlottesville problem. This is a problem with principals uh, and athletic directors who are making, you know, or I, I think it's more principals, if I'm not mistaken, than it is ADs, uh, who are kind of, they, they go over to Charlottesville, they have these committees, they meet, they talk about committees, they form another committee to talk about the committee they just have, and eventually they make up rules that we're all going to sit here and, and complain about for, for days on end. Let's get that out of the way. How can, and this is what drives me nuts, okay, fourth to five, I don't care if they only won one game all regular season, I don't. We were told when they got rid of the conferences and they went back to, that we split from two regions in the four, which we did, what, two years ago? Mm-hmm. This is year two of the? Yeah. 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 We, we went back to four regions after being in two regions with the silly conferences. We were told district tournaments are going to mean something. We were told by athletic directors, by principals, district tournaments are going to mean something again. They're just not going to be for hardware. They're just not going to be an end-of-season cash grab. This is going to be something. Okay, so here, Fort Defiance, whether they won one game or lost one game all year, I don't care. Okay, they go out there, they pull off the upset in the first round. There's no way on God's green earth that Rockbridge County should be sitting at home right now with a week by until Regions. To heal up and practice while Fort Defiance, who beat them, who upset them, still has to play a game to get into the regionals. That's just ludicrous. That's just ludicrous. And it goes over to the Shenandoah, too. You know, where Wilson Memorial boys can lose in a first round game. Granted, Shenandoah is a different animal because you got two classifications. You got Riverheads and Stonewall Jackson are 1A. Everyone else is 2A. I get it, but there's a better better way to do this. Okay, Wilson Memorial loses their first round game to Lee. Okay, Wilson Memorial's got a first round, they, they got a bye. They're still moving on. Now, I don't know what's inside Kerry Keyes' head, and I haven't asked him, the coach at East Rock Boys Basketball. I don't know what's inside Dalton Jefferson's head. I don't know what's inside Tyler Nichols' head or any of those players' heads. Colin Wigley, you know, Tice McNair, take your pick. They may very well want to play every day all the way to the state championship game if they go that far just to keep up with the routine and everything. But wouldn't it be nice to be Wilson Memorial right now? Wouldn't it be nice to be Rockbridge County right now and to basically have a buy for losing, to be able to sit and know who your possibility, who you're going to play is, and be able to practice against, you know, the four. Okay, let's let's simulate practice against these four teams we could be playing in the first round of the playoffs. And to heal up if you have any nagging injuries, wouldn't that be nice? How are we rewarding the teams 
that are winning district tournaments, that are flying through the regular season like in East Rock, how are we, how are we awarding them by having district tournaments that don't mean anything that is busy work? This is busy work for a trophy. Greg, when I make you type in swimming agate, which I never do, by the way, but let's just say, you. if I make you type in summer swimming agate, it's basically to give you busy work. I'm not giving you a trophy after you do it. Nope. I'm not. Nope. I'm sorry. I might take you out the dinner. I'm not even taking you out the no, dinner, no, okay? No. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 that's what I don't get, it's, man. It's, it's just, it just devalues the, the whole tournament. There's no point to it, whereas maybe you should just have regionals. Go right to regionals, right? That would be the solution. Fort Defiance is actually about to fall victim to this two years in a row. Last year, they they, pulled, they went in the first round last year over Waynesboro. Then they fall in the second round to Rockbridge County. And after the turn, as the tournament championships get in place, this wild card stuff starts coming back out. Waynesboro, who lost in the first round, ends up going to the, the, the regional playoffs in the first round of playing Spotswood. I talked to the Waynesboro coach after that game. And he said they were they were home for three days without practicing or anything. hadn't They had no clue until their AD call, calls them up one day and says, "Hey, I think you guys might be playing in the regional tournament next week." Now we've got Broadway, who's in this situation. I'm not sure if they knew, yes or no, whether they're the Broadway they were, girls. Yes, Broadway girls this year. So that they lose last Friday. So they've either been practicing this week with the chance that TA wins tonight and then they don't even go, or they're they're not practicing and then TA loses tonight and they're in. So. You've got these teams just standing around with the possibility of they could be practicing for another week and not even not even moving on at all. So it just it it's a mess. Here's what here's what drives me absolutely batty about it. Okay, and, and, and is that you know I was at that Broadway game and Cody almost fell out of his chair. That's why we're laughing. I was at that Broadway girls basketball game. They lost. There's girls seniors walking out of the locker room crying with tears in their eyes because as far as they know their season's over. You got coach Scott Martin telling me this is a disappointing way to end the season. We're not happy, but you know, and then I'm asking them about next season and, and they're going to be a good ball club next season. Uh, and, and I'm asking about next season, how they're going to have a full off season with them. You're just screwing with kids' emotions now. You are. And, 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 and here's the problem. Here's what bothers me the most about it all is that these high school kids run around with this stupid stereotype label. They're the snowflake generation. They're the participation trophy generation. And it's like there's people out there, that's like their pastime. There's people my age and older who are like, that's like their past. Back in my day. And and these kids, they get everything on a silver platter. And it's like, it, that's they, they love just bashing these high school kids that Cody, I, sometimes you, sometimes Shane deal with on a daily basis who are darn good kids who do not want this label that is a label they do not deserve because they have not put it on themselves. These adults, and you can't see the air quotes that I'm doing because this is a podcast, who are making these rules are, are just feeding the stereotype beast for these poor kids by, by, by just, you know, by, go, just, you know, go, go, go to regions. We don't care if you lose, you go to regionals. When they split into six, when they split into six classifications, right. we were doing, every paper in the state was doing a series about it. Okay, we were told by a principal in Southwest Virginia, I don't remember his name, I don't remember the school, we did our series on it, what he said when they split into six classifications was, I want more kids to have that championship feeling. Well, you know what? I want to have the winning the lottery feeling, but no one makes it easier for me. And I don't walk around, and, if, and, and, and you know, no one's going to make it easier for me, and I just, I, I, I can't stand the fact that these kids are labeled this way, and all they're doing is doing what they're told. They have no say in the matter. These coaches and players have no say in the matter. They're just doing what they're told and going. Right. They don't make the schedule. They just have to keep no. playing when their coaches and ADs and principals tell them to play. And at some point, like we were talking about before, when the season ends and, and you got girls crying, you got players crying because their high school careers come to end, that's when you think the season should end. And if they feel that way, the season definitely should end. And that, that's, that's the problem is you, you fail to define the end of a season. You, just, you have teams that lose in a district tournament and then go on to play in a regional tournament. It makes no sense. No. It, it makes no sense at all. And, and all you're going to hear about is people are telling you that the big push now is for the shot clock. Let's get the shot clock in Virginia high school league basketball. The sh why? Why? Because it's going to prepare. It's going to prepare the these kids. Okay, when they say the kids, they mean the one, two, three out of ten players on the court at that moment who are going to play at the next level. It's going to prepare those kids for the next level. How is this preparing the kids for the next level? Not at all. When you lose once in, in a college tournament. 
you're done. Yeah, unless you're unless you're top twenty-five UNC or, or or something like that. But you know what? The ODAC ain't in that. Yeah, let's nope. say a lot of these kids go to the ODAC. ODAC ain't a two-bid league anymore, folks. Okay, the only person going in the ODAC is probably going. Well, actually, ODAC girls were two. Or well, ODAC I have, women to, were I have two to say big. this: talking to Melvin Felix, and you'll hear from him in a bit. He did say there's a chance the ODAC could get a mul- multiple, be a yeah. multiple bid okay. league this year. But that's could every be, once in a while. Chance. You're talking about D2, D3, which is a, I would say describes probably the fair amount of athletes in this area at the high school level that'll move mm-hmm. on. You're talking yeah, every once in a while I get a D1 player, but at that level, most of those leagues are one bid leagues. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you lose in your conference tournament, you're done. And then obviously, if you go on to a national tournament. You lose once and you go home. The season's over. Talk about next year. Uh, it's just it's just how it works. I, and and that's 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 my biggest beef with it is that you shouldn't be rewarded for losing. No, no. I mean, you just you just you just shouldn't be. And if you're going to be rewarded for losing, don't slap the label on these poor kids. Do the snowflake generation is participation trophy. No, it's not. Don't do that. Don't make that your pastime behind you know behind an avatar online or or on your Facebook page or when we post a story. Don't make it your pastime. I, I think yeah, I think the problem is when they went to six classifications now, and and this, and this even before they went to divisions in basketball. Now, Cody, this may have been your playing days. When, when they had a really good system, when you're playing at Fort Defiance, they had a really good system before they went to divisions in basketball. I see divisions in football. That's not a problem. Football's a numbers game. Basketball is not. Anyway, I digress. With, with, with basketball, the system was perfect. You had your Valley District Tournament. Okay, your district, your regular season champ, automatic bid. Okay? After that, it was the other semifinalist, or the other finalist got a bid. So unless... The regular season champ lost in, in like the first or second round of the tournament, and then the district champ went. But when they had when when that regular season champ was in the championship game, Cody, and you'll back me up on this. Some of those, those semi those district semifinals, and it was the same for regions. And those regional semifinals were some of the best basketball you saw all year. Can you you remember those days watching those good Waynesboro teams and those great RE Lee teams battling in the semifinals? No, they were both battling for. Well, actually, Lee was always the state cha- or always the district champion back then. But like a Fort Defiance or a Waynesboro in that semifinal, knowing Lee was waiting, and this game was the game that was given a regional birth. Battling for their postseason lives. Those are oh, great yeah. games. I mean, the not only quality basketball, but just the atmosphere around it. Everything. I mean, you had it, it was great because, you, like you said, you would always have that Lee team that had dominated the regular season, and they were they were waiting there in that championship. And I, I mean, I, I will never forget a storage draft Fort Defiance game, and it was just it, it, it felt that felt like the championship game because you knew you had to you had to win that to to move on and. Uh, yeah, it was that was some of the best basketball and that that I've ever seen around the area. And everyone went. It wasn't just the students or fans of the schools, oh, mind yeah, you, because everybody. it meant something. It was everybody. If they're worried about gate, and uh, that's what every school is always worried about. It's all about the ducats. Let's be honest here. That's what they need to do. If you want to sit there and, and okay, gate money, because you know what? If you get if if an East Rock, Page County semifinal means so much for 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 a regional bid, okay. Everybody, everybody is going to be there. Every coach not playing that night is going to be there. Every player not playing that night is going to be there. Every person who gives a rat's furry behind about Shenandoah District basketball, if their team's not playing that night, they're going to be there. You're going to have a sold-out gym. You're going to have all the ducats in the world. Stop it. There's something to be said about the season coming to an end for somebody, about the potential for that. And when when you have that scenario, you know that night, somebody's season is coming to an end and somebody is moving on. So I think that would definitely make the situation uh, better, and just clearly better. Uh, but there's a, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of pieces here to this, uh, and the classifications, the divisions, the districts, the regions—they all have something to do with it. Uh, whatever the situation is, though, it's, it's just it's not the cleanest, and it's and it's, it's, and, it's and it's making the season probably longer than it than it needs to be for for a lot of those teams that aren't good enough to play. It's a mess. Uh, it's a p- mess. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's a gosh, it's gosh dang mess. Cody, I feel like I hijacked this conversation. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and anyway, uh, where are you going? Where are you going tonight? Where are you going tomorrow? Uh, I'll be with East Rockingham boys tonight in their semifinal game, and then um, I'll be at the district doubleheader for the championship. Uh, you enjoy that, uh, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna transition now. Talk a little college hoops. As there's a big rivalry game tomorrow in in the city of Harrisonburg as the Eastern Mennonite running Royals welcome in the Bridgewater Eagles. Uh, last year, these two teams met. This is their first meeting this year. Last year, these two teams met in the ODAC tournament, 
and EMU pulled an upset at BC, knocked the Eagles out of the ODAC tournament, and then they made a nice little run in Kirby Dean's last season. Kirby Dean no longer at EMU. It's been Melvin Felix's show uh, this year, and they've, they've been okay this year. Uh, 10 and 13 overall and 5 and 9 in the ODAC. BC a game ahead in the standings at 11 and 12 overall and 6 and 8 in the ODAC. 7 p.m. tip uh, Yoder Arena at EMU on Wednesday night. Uh, so earlier today, I caught up with Melvin Felix, the coach at EMU, uh, just to kind of get a feel for the game and, and where the Royals are at uh, with the ODAC tournament right around the corner. So here's my conversation with Melvin Felix. Okay, Melvin, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll kind of start here before we get into the, the rivalry game tomorrow night uh, between you guys and Bridgewater. Just a little bit about your first year as, as coach at EMU. Mm-hmm. How do you kind of assess it with two games left to go? What have you done well? What have you liked about the job? And what are some things you've learned <laughs> you've learned as, as you've gone this year? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've enjoyed it a lot, obviously. Uh, it's kind of nice to Finally, after working so hard, being able to become a head coach and uh, kind of run with it now. But obviously, there's been ups and downs with it, challenges, uh, all kinds of different things. I think the, the, the good things we've done, I think, is our, our seniors really uh, bought in into kind of my style of coaching and just kind of getting adjusted to me. I mean, you know, they were under Coach Dean for three years, and myself and him are different people, so we coach differently. And for them, that I mean, I know that had to be hard, and, and I'm sure it probably still is adjusting to some of those things, but they've done a great job uh, listening and adjusting to it uh, and kind of set an example for those younger guys that will be with me here years to come. Uh, some of the challenges probably, you know, some of the stuff off the floor, you know, the interviews, the, you know, all that kind of stuff that I, I didn't have to do as an assistant. Uh so I would say that overall, I mean, I'm very pleased where we are. I think that we've lost some close games we maybe should have won, uh, but we've competed every single game. We haven't really, how do I explain it? I haven't felt like we've lost a game where we've walked away from it and said, hey, we didn't give everything. We've The games we've lost, we've competed to the end, uh, and that, I'm, I'm proud of that. And we got two big games still left. Uh, a lot of still could happen in the ODAC. It's, it's a wild conference. So in reality, everything is still wide open for everybody. Especially considering you guys lost so many seniors off, off mm-hmm. last year's team. In addition to the coaching change, the, the roster changed a little yeah. bit too, right? Yeah, oh yeah, big time. I mean, we lost our top four three-point shooters last year and only returned one of our top five. So we've adjusted to that, and uh, our guys have responded well to it. It's been different. Uh, you know, we've had to change some things offensively and how we do things, but they've done a good job of it. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, that was one of the challenges, but we, we kind of got through it. Now we're late in the season. We kind of know who we are. We know our strengths. We know our weaknesses, and uh, that's what's helping us win games and stay in games. Uh, it was, what, a 70-56 win this past week against Hampton Sydney this past Saturday. What did you guys do well in that game? I had a couple of different guys in double figures. What did you do well? What did you like? I thought the, the the most important thing we did that game was we shared the basketball. Uh, you know, we, we it never stuck. We had, I think, 14 or 15 assists to only 12 turnovers, which it's always good when you can have more assists and turnovers. And defensively, we... You know, there was a stretcher where we really clamped down on them, you know, and I think they didn't score for about five or six minutes, and we kind of went on a run ourselves there. So those two things, you know, went hand-in-hand hand for us winning that game. You guys get Bridgewater tomorrow. Uh, it's a Wednesday night, 7 p.m. tip at EMU. What does the rivalry mean to you? You've been in the ODAC a long time. You've been at EMU for a couple of years as an assistant under Kirby, and now uh, you get your first crack at the rivalry as, as a head coach. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about it. I know our guys are, too. I think that's that's something that me being, you know, I played at Roanoke. I felt like the schools were kind of all farther apart, you know. So, I mean, WNL might have been our biggest rivalry. They're 45 minutes away. But... With this rivalry, it's just a little bit different, you know. You're Ten minutes away, both schools' fans can get there, whether it's home or away. Uh, and it, it means a lot, uh, I know, to the community, to myself, to the players. Our seniors that have been through it, you know, three years, they would definitely want to go out on a win against them uh, in a rivalry game. And uh, obviously there's all their implications, too, when it comes to the tournament. So it's a big game all the way around. It's, it should be exciting. There should be a really good crowd here. Uh, so we're very, very, you know, I'm very looking forward to it. So you, you mentioned the, the implications for the tournament. Last year you guys played them in the Hodag tournament, and it was, it was kind of a thrilling game mm-hmm. there. Uh, you guys got a big block at the end to secure a last-second victory. Uh, what do you remember about that game, and what can it, what can it do, I guess, this late in the season as you guys look ahead and peek ahead the next week in, in the ODAC tournament? Yeah, I think it prepares us. 
perfectly, especially for next week. Depending on what happens this week, you know, most likely we'll have a playing game, uh, and that's a high environment, you know, high level game. And I think tomorrow is going to be like that. So, with those that game coming in less than a week, you know, it's it's a great great matchup to prepare our guys for that environment and that, uh, you know, the expectations of playing in the tournament. You guys are separated by just a game in the, in the standings, too. Uh, what is it about Coach Post's team? What do they do well? What are some things that you guys are looking at as you're as you're scouting them and getting ready for tomorrow? Well, they're uh, defensively, they're extremely aggressive, you know, and they, they really look to deny and play hard and, and force you to turn the ball over and get you out of what you're trying to do. And offensively, they you know they they've been shooting a lot of threes and making them too. So it's going to be a tough matchup, uh, just because first is a rivalry game, so anything goes in a rivalry game, and and, and it's. Bridgewater and EMU, so it's going to be exciting. Uh, they do a lot of good things. You know, we do good things, so it should be a fun game. Who's who's playing well for you guys right now? Who enters yeah. the game with a little bit of momentum for you guys as yeah. far as your players? I think, you know, Tim, Travis, and Sam have been kind of our catalyst all year, and I think right now all three of them are, are playing pretty well, and which it's, you know, good at the time of the year that we're in. Uh, so I hope that they can continue to build on what they've done and keep getting better and finish the season strong. Yeah, when you have your older guys play well, I guess, toward the end of the season, that's mm-hmm. that's pretty much the idea is those guys get a sense, right, that, yeah. that they're getting getting near the end of a that's season right. and the end of a career for some of them. That's right. That's right. And I feel like maybe last year that was some of what happened, too, with us last year. You know, we had those four seniors, and it, it, all of a sudden the light click is like, hey, man, this is the end of it. We got to we gotta do something here. So like any seniors in any team, I think – that hat tends to happen, uh, but those three guys, you know, one's a sophomore, two are seniors. They've been consistent all year, but I think now it's when we really need them to step up the most. And if you win this game, you guys move in a tie in the standings. You and Bridgewater uh, give yourself a shot at maybe getting a home game for a playing mm-hmm. game. What's the difference that mm-hmm. uh, with that? I guess for the ODAG tournament, getting them at least to play one at home. Yeah, uh, I mean it. It makes a big difference, obviously. But you know, we proved last year that you can go on the road and still win. Uh, and we've had games here that we've won. Um, so at the end of the day, it's once you know where you're going, you got to prepare and you got to show up and you got to play as hard as you can and try to play at the highest level that you can, and anything can happen in the tournament. Now, last thing, uh, what's a couple of things you guys think you have to do in order in order to win and, and pull another one off in this rivalry? I, like I said, I think some of the things that helped us against Sydney, I think taking care of the basketball and sharing it, I think will go a long, long way, uh, especially tomorrow night. Uh, and we just need to play, play well and play confident. And I think we'll be okay. So good to hear from Melvin Felix, the coach of Eastern Mennonite men's basketball, Royals and Bridgewater tomorrow night, Wednesday at 7 p.m. at Yoder Arena. Rivalry game. Could see it maybe again next week uh, when the ODAC tournament gets started. Uh, I guess now we'll go from one level of college hoops to another. Talk about the James Madison men's basketball team. Bring in Shane Metlin, uh, the James Madison basketball, does men and women uh, basketball writing at the Daily News Record. Uh, Shane, pretty much the same story when we talked last Thursday. The women are playing great. The men, uh, not not so much. Yeah, it really is about the same. Um, you know, the women Picked up, I think, their seventh straight win over the weekend. Uh, swept their little northeastern swing through Hofstra and uh, northeastern. And um, the, women, or the men, they went to Towson, a uh, game where, you know, that's one of the ones where you look at the schedule, you think, who can they sweep? And you kind of hope Towson's one of them. But they went up there and couldn't hang on to a lead once again and uh, lost a tough one on the road, which has kind of been the story all year long. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. The road problems we talked about it last week and why some of that's happened this year. It's a combination of a lot of different things. It seems like, but for whatever reason, uh, they can't get it going on the road. The good news is they don't have any road games this weekend. They'll be at home the whole weekend. They'll they'll welcome Drexel and Delaware to the Convocation Center. JMU at ten and fifteen overall, three and nine in the CAA. And bottom line is they need wins. Any any way they can get them, they'll they'll take them, right? Yeah, and they like you said, they're back at home this week. Their four of their last six regular season games are at home. You know they have the. Uh, trip up north coming up and you know on the men's side going to Hofstra and Northeastern is by far the toughest you know road weekend they're going to have so getting these wins at home against you know beatable teams you know Drexel and Delaware they're having pretty solid seasons they're have winning records in the conference but you know those are teams that you know you look at the matchups they should be able to beat those teams at home you know it's not nothing's guaranteed but you know those aren't games where you're thinking like it's going to be an upset if they win um 
but they've got to get it done, and they've kind of been, you know, Lou Rose brought it up a couple times. They're kind of Jekyll and Hyde, and playing 40 complete minutes has really only happened maybe once this year. Where where do you kind of circle that as 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 their their best game? What game do you circle as as, as their best? Well, um, down at UNC Wilmington, like they were kind of clicking offensively, and you know they played fairly solid defense. You know, UNC Wilmington, CB McGrath was a North Carolina assistant, so he takes that same style, wants to push the pace, and you know even on a made basket they're grabbing it as it comes out of the net and they're getting up and down the court so you know statistically it wasn't necessarily their best defensive game but they played well offensively and they played enough defense that they were able to you know outscore Wilmington. With with Drexel coming in uh, what do you look at as the keys I know you heard from Zach Spiker uh, the Drexel coach earlier today on the teleconference what's kind of the expectation for the game and and uh, how do you see it just from his perspective, Lou's perspective, uh, how this game will play out? You know, when I started asking him questions, I was kind of going from the point of view that they won fairly comfortably up there at Drexel. He, you know, was quick to remind me they were down 20 to 4 in that game. Um, so they had to come back. But he knows that, you know, JMU is capable of, you know, getting a run and getting some momentum. And, you know, maybe coming back from a double digit deficit won't be as easy on the road, you know, if, you know, the convocation center crowd gets fired up and you know, how that goes and plus JMU just shoots the ball a lot better at home for whatever reason uh, they're shooting about 50% at home and 41% on the road wow that's 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 pretty drastic uh does Lou have any reasoning for for, for that or are they just more comfortable is it something like something as easy as that he kind of plays down the whole you know home versus road thing even though the records and the stats and everything you know indicate there's a difference you know they play in front of a home crowd. Everybody likes to play in front of their home crowd. They sleep in their own beds. They, it's the gym they practice in every day, which is not every team is like that. You know, I was just up at Towson looking at their practice facility that they converted their old arena into, which kind of seemed relevant for JMU because that'll be happening down the road. But um, you know, to you know, every coach probably wants that practice facility, but you also have that kind of advantage where you're playing. You, you see those baskets every day. You shoot. You have that purple wall behind you, which is a little bit different than a lot of places you go. And you know maybe that makes a difference. Yeah. So that that, that should be a good one. JMU Drexel. That is Thursday night, and then Saturday is JMU Delaware. Uh, how do you see that game uh, playing out? And, and what makes the Blue Hens a tough opponent for the Dukes? They're a little bit like JMU as far as being kind of Jekyll and Hyde. Um, they've played really, really well at times. They're, the game against JMU in Newark was one of those um, when they really got both Eric Carter and Ryan Allen, their top scorers, both going. I think they combined for 50-some points. And you know when they do that, they're really tough to beat. Um, but they've also had some games. They lost, um, they lost at home to Delaware State, which is one of the worst teams in the country. Yeah, in, in men's college basketball. And, and they've had some, you know, that's a rivalry game. And, you know, that rivalry has some, you know, interesting backdrop to it where they have played in all sports as much as Delaware State would like to. So there, there are probably, you know, some things going on there. But, you know, they also have had some games where they just didn't, completely didn't show up. They've gotten beat by 30 or 40 a couple times in conference play. And then they'll turn around and win a tough game. And so they're kind of hard to figure too. But um, biggest thing for them is probably going to be Eric Carter, their big man, uh, has had some back issues, but it seems like he's getting healthier. So if they can slow him down a little bit this time around is going to be a big thing. The women – 18 and four overall had a good weekend. Just win it. Just keep. Just they keep just on rolling under Sean O'Regan. Uh, they'll have Charleston and UNCW this weekend. Well, I'll go. I'll go this route with it. Which of those two teams do you give the better chance of, of pulling an upset at the Convocation Center with? Definitely UNCW. They're the only team that's given them their only conference loss so far. Um, Charleston should be completely overmatched. You know, even if JMU doesn't play their best game, they should be able to. Uh, get by that one but they have generally played very well at home um and taking care of business uh so the uncw game is one that they've been kind of waiting around for you know they've dominated teams at the complication center this year so getting another chance at them they lost on a set on a three-pointer with 1.2 seconds left or something like that and you know um Shreda parker is really the only time this year where they haven't really slowed down the other team's top score. They've been really good about, you know, coming out. Um, you know, I think uh, Kamaya Smalls and everybody else, they kind of take it as a challenge that they're going to go right at the other team's best player, and they've 
you know, forced them into some of their worst games of the season. But Sharita Parker had a good one. She made the game-winning shot. So I'm sure they're going to be uh, looking forward to seeing her again. How do, how do they do it this week? What has Sean said about the way they're going to try to guard Parker? Uh, he hasn't said a whole lot about it because he, he's one of those, you know, take it one game at a time coaches. So he talked mostly about Charleston. But I'm, I'm sure they're going to do a little bit more probably trying to pressure her away from the basket, uh, you know, just keep it out there, maybe, you know, hedge and double team her a little bit. Um, Cause she just kind of got free for some open looks, uh, you know, um, she just got a little bit of space with Kamaya Garden her to make that game winner in that uh, first time they played down in Wilmington. Um, you know, it was, it was a tough shot, but it's one where they probably could have done a better job of forcing her to catch the ball farther away from the basket and, you know, making it a little bit tougher look. And that they'll try to do that this time around, I'm sure. Yeah, it should be interesting. Uh, all four days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you'll be at the Convocation Center uh, and then settled in there, right? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, kind of how it works um, with the uh, new schedule with the travel partners and everything, and they set it up so um, – they set that up for the uh, JMU staff where they can have a full weekend and then maybe get a weekend off. Um, so, you know, for me, I wouldn't mind alternating the men and women a little bit, but I understand I'm just one guy in this uh, picture and don't have a whole lot of say in that. Yeah, so so four home games for, for the basketball teams this weekend. Uh, also, wanted to talk a little softball with you. The Dukes open up. Uh, JMU softball team from one women's sport to another here now. Uh, JMU softball, they open up this weekend. Uh, they'll be Friday, Saturday, Sunday down in St. Pete, Clearwater, Florida area at the St. Pete Clearwater Elite Invitational. Uh, they'll play Cal, Oregon, FAU, Tennessee, and Kentucky uh, this weekend. There's high expectations for this softball team. I mean, let's not beat around the bush here. What, in your conversations, I know you've gotten out there a little bit uh, over over at Veterans Memorial Park, uh, what what it all is being said about their goals and aspirations for 2019, especially when they bring back a, a healthy Megan Good, who's perhaps one of the best college softball players in the country. Well, yeah, like he said, they think they can be one of the best teams in the country. They come in ranked you know, in the 20s nationally in most of the polls. Um, I think maybe they think they're a little bit better than that. They they were last time Megan Good was on the field, but you can kind of understand why maybe people are waiting to see what they do and you know, with some new people in different spots. You know, they have a Kirsten Road Camp going back to catcher where she played as a freshman, didn't play there as much last year because of injuries and just personnel things. But um, you know, yeah, the expectations are high and they're kind of getting thrown right into it with this tournament. The you know, it's loaded with. Uh, top 10, top 25 teams, and uh, they should find out, you know, where they are early, early on. And um, but, you know, they're overwhelming favorites in the CW or in the CAA, and um, you know, should make it to the NCAA uh, tournament. And you know, we'll see how far they can go there. Yeah, 43 and 14 they finished last year in Coach Lauren Laporte's first season. They did it last year with, with two different <laughs> pitchers, uh, Odyssey Alexander and then Peyton Burrish. Uh, how do you? How do they kind of fit in uh, with with Good coming back? Are they going to use all three? I sounds like they will. Um, you know, in one way or another. I don't know how many starts all three will get, uh, but they might be able to you know use relief a little bit more. And they definitely they don't think they want you know Megan Good to have to pitch you know 45 games this year well especially early on yeah. you know maybe maybe you'll let her go throw as many as you want come come, yeah. come late come may and come june uh but uh yeah i guess early on right it makes sense to maybe spread some of those innings around yeah i mean there's gonna be temptation i'm sure because you know they know she's capable of being you know completely dominant but you know they have two other you know really good pitchers maybe not you know play national player of the year caliber pitchers but you know they probably feel like with megan also returning to the lineup and, you know, some of the other players that can hit the ball, you know, if they have a pitcher who only gives up one or two runs a game, then they should be fine. Yeah, theoretically, at least at least, yeah. at least that makes sense. Uh, Megan Good, one of a few local standouts on that team. Megan, Megan Good, obviously, Fort Defiance. Uh, Kate Gordon's Page County. Uh, Roadcap, uh, Turner Ashby. Yeah. Did, did, do you get a sense there's some camaraderie there uh, with, with, with a couple of girls that, that know the Harrisonburg area pretty well? Yeah, they, they know the area. They know each other. Um, they know JMU. Some of them grew up wanting to go to JMU. Um, and beyond that, you know, they have, you know, 
kids from Orange and you know Monticello High School over in Charlottesville. It, it's kind of amazing they've built the power that they have with you know within a you know sixty mile radius of here, and then going up into Northern Virginia a little bit with a lot of the recruiting. No, that that is really interesting, especially considering uh, you know you you look around college softball and they're probably competing with with player with with other teams in the ACC with teams in the ACC obviously probably competing with the, the CA schools for for some players but uh, some of the national powers when you look ACC SEC are probably trying to get some of the same kids so it's kind of interesting to see what Jamie softball uh, does this season and they'll start uh, Friday Saturday Sunday uh, like I said Cal Oregon FAU Tennessee and Kentucky uh, the other diamond team, the baseball team for JMU, uh, they were 26 and 26 last year, 11 and 13 in the CAA. Uh, there's some high expectations for Marlon Eikenberry's squad as he enters uh, his fourth season. I know for them, talking to not only Ike but his players and then his boss too, Athletic Director Jeff Bourne. I had a story in today's Daily News Record about some of the hopes for JMU, and the the, the one thing that's clear is. Uh, they don't want to miss out on that party at their own place again. Can't have the CAA tournament in Harrisonburg and then not get there. Uh, that's what happened at JMU last year. Uh, they last made the CAA tournament in Ike's first year in 2016, and they're hoping to get back again. It's kind of interesting because JMU softball's had all this success. And, you know, you're talking about hosting NCAA regionals and, and getting to the NCAA tournament year after year, whether it was under Mickey Dean or, or Lauren Laporte now. Baseball just hasn't had that for whatever reason, and it's kind of been a grind to, to find success. Last year, I guess, was their best record uh, since 2011, and that was at 500. As we kind of just talk, and I know you're, you're not around a baseball team, as, as I've been kind of, kind of going with that and you've been doing softball, do you think there's any reason for that, that, that just JMU baseball can't find the same success uh, it, 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 its counterpart softball has? It's hard to say for sure. It kind of reminds you of what's going on on the basketball side right now, where you know the basketball team seems to have been rebuilding for a few years now, and you know the uh, the women's basketball team is kind of a well-oiled machine that they've you know kept you know even with the transition from Kenny Brooks to Sean O'Regan, you know that was keeping within the program, and they kind of just kept things rolling there, and you know they've established you know they've established themselves as probably the best program in the CAA, even if they haven't won the CAA tournament every year. No, that's year. fair. That's they're, totally they're, fair. They're, they're the most consistent, and um, they're a pretty solid pick to win the conference almost every year. And it, there's similarities there between baseball and softball. Uh, it's hard to pinpoint exactly what it is. The facilities are good. and you know, Maybe it's tougher when uh, UVA, Virginia Tech have put a lot of emphasis on baseball and you know building up their facilities, and they recruit in-state Um and like we were just talking about, softball teams, they've been able to get like really good in-state players. Uh, maybe that makes it a little bit tougher, but I don't know for sure what you know the reason is or if there's one reason or if it's just a lot of little things. Yeah, no, it's, it's something certainly uh, to think about as, as baseball gets going uh, this season. I know one thing that Eikenberry and that team is excited about going into this year, uh, and they'll play a three-game set starting Friday against Norfolk State, is that pitching staff. They feel like the pitching is there and and then just from doing some research last year as they were trying to get to that CA tournament but ultimately failed is the one thing you can say about Eikenberry's team is that the team ERA has lowered year after year since he's arrived at JMU and they think this group is the best of the bunch. Here's what Marlon Eikenberry had to say uh, earlier or last week I should say uh, when I spoke with him kind of about expectations and, and team goals for this year but here's what he had to say about the pitching staff going into this season. It's a, it is better than one last year, okay. and uh, it's it's probably in my 21 years of coaching, I got to put it up with probably the best one I've ever been around. And um, you know, it's it, I don't want like to say that this early because you never know what can happen. Yeah. But yeah. but you know, just 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 the way the way they throw strikes and the way they compete and, and they have they have plus plus stuff, and that's mm-hmm. you know kind of the neat thing about. It. Now we're going to give up our runs, and we're going to have those games where you know you know that that we're going to have the. Um, you know the big the big innings every once in a while, but you know I would say that this 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 pitching staff is deep. Um, you know we were talking the other day in the office about trying to figure out what rotation we're going to go with, and 
you know, it's, you know, technically in my mind, we could have six starters. So Eikenberry, they're going to rely on guys like Kevin Kelly and Nick Robertson, Nick Stewart, uh, as well as TA grad Justin Showalter uh, to kind of get them through as a pitching staff. They have some really solid arms in the bullpen, too, with Ayers and, and, and Shelton Perkins and ECU transfer. So should be interesting to watch the baseball team, see what they can do this year. It's hard to believe, you know, baseball, softball. Uh, getting going here in February, especially home games for JMU yeah. uh, in February. That, that's always a little bit of a dicey situation. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the softball team, they're lucky. They're heading down to Florida. They can, <laughs> uh, it'll be interesting to see if they get the games in this weekend, and if so, if there's some time changes and things like that. That's what they uh, – over at O'Neill's before when they were talking to Eikenberry, the, introducing him, they said that you know, basically this is a tentative schedule we're announcing here. Like You're going to have to follow us on Twitter and find out for sure, but – you know, yeah, February, I guess, is baseball season now. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, college baseball season is February. Uh, obviously, we talked to EMU coach Ben Spots about some of the same things last week. Just how, you know, you take your chances in February and you see what you can do when you're one of those northern teams uh, that, that end up with home games in February. So, anyway, Jamie Baseball opens Friday. Kevin Kelly will be on the mound. Uh, they're, they're multiple arm angle ace. Uh, so he'll be on the hill. We had a story on him uh, in a paper last week. Uh, so if you want to catch up and, and read a little bit about Jamie baseball, Jamie softball, check out dnronline.com as well as jamesmadison.rivals.com where you can find all of Shane's basketball stuff and all my football stuff as well. But that'll kind of wrap up a loaded edition on this on this Tuesday of the Rocktown Sports Podcast. Shane, good to see you in person this week. Yeah. Uh, appreciate appreciate you taking some time to. Uh, come on. Uh, so for Jim Sacco, our sports editor, Cody Elliott, our prep writer, uh, Shane Metlin, our JMU Hoops writer, and of course, big thanks to Melvin Felix, the EMU men's basketball coach, uh, for popping on the podcast. I'm Greg Medea saying thanks for tuning in.